0: Let's turn to Amos, chapter 2. Amos, chapter 2. The theme of Amos primarily is the righteousness of God. And because of the righteousness of God, certain nations have been singled out for judgment during the time of the prophet. Amos, of course, we know was, was a sheep herder, but he was also a sheep owner. In, in effect, that's pretty much what he was. From the south, he, he, uh, he lived in Tekoa, which was in, uh, in, in the southern kingdom of Judah. Yet God called him to prophesy to the northern kingdom of Israel. And we see that that's his target nation in chapter 2. Because he begins, uh, the Lord begins through the prophet by revealing the fact that he is going to bring judgment. Judgment first begins in the house of God. So he begins uh, in speaking about the roar of the lion coming out of Zion, coming out of Jerusalem, affecting not only Jerusalem and Judah, but also the northern kingdom of Israel. But then he goes directly to judgments on uh, certain nations. We began with uh, Damascus, which was, of course, Syria, and uh, Gaza, and uh, uh, Tyrus. And I'll I'll make mention of those names here in, in the course of the study tonight. But we've arrived to the second chapter now, and in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, he focuses his attention, in the first three verses, on the state of, or the nation state of Moab, or the Moabites. And so it says in Amos chapter 2, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Remember, this is a literary device. He's not saying that they only committed four transgressions and the fourth is the strongest and the hardest. The, the statement is made to say that they had many transgressions and focusing upon the main one here, uh, in fact, uh, as, as each of the nations have received that kind of uh, warning that God was not going to let them get away with, without punishment. That's why it says, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. In other words, all of this judgment is inevitable. So he goes on and he says, and here's the reason, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. But I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Keriot, and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So there is mention here, of course, about Moab being destroyed in in battle. And I'll mention a little bit more about that later. And I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof and will slay all the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. So when we spoke of the Lord roaring from Zion and uttering his voice from Jerusalem, affecting the habitations of shepherds and the beautiful and fertile foliage and fruitfulness of Carmel, as we saw back in Amos chapter 1, verse 2. We were seeing that the Lord was establishing a pattern of judgment that would not only affect Judah and Israel, but would initially begin with judgments toward the enemies of God's people with a final blow being upon the nation charged to receive Amos's prophecies. That is, again, the nation of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now what began back in verse 3 of chapter 1, a series of more than just pointed threatening vengeance against six nation states. Because as as I've said before, God doesn't just threaten to threaten. If it sounds like a threat, you you can be assured that he's going to carry out his judgments. Why? Because God is a just God. Because God is a righteous God not because he likes to destroy nations. We might, you know, we might get an idea of that when we think about the way nations attack nations today in the world. And in some cases where certain nations are run by uh, despots, then you would think, you know, that that's how they act. They just, you know, act capriciously, just, you know, just do something. That's not God. This was never his intent, but because he's a righteous God and a just God, justice has to take place, and God is really alone, the one who knows the timing of every judgment that needs to take place, when it happens. The judgments that we see in the Old Testament, we see them happen, uh, immediate judgments, uh, and then a little further on judgments, and then of course there, is, there are the judgments of the end time which are all tied to the initial judgments to begin with. We've seen this happen time and time again through our course of study through the prophets, whether the major prophets or the minor prophets. So he has this series of pointed, threatening vengeance against six nation states, Syria, or as, it, as, it, as it's stated in, in chapter 1, Damascus, the, the, the capital of Syria. Then there's Gaza. And Gaza, of course, is, there's a region of Gaza still today. We've talked about this, representing the Philistines that lived in the coastland, uh, in the southern part of, of the land. Uh, the Philistines that gave birth to the to the title of Palestinian. And again, we've talked about that. By the way, the the, the, the person that calls himself a Palestinian today is not Palestinian. Because, in fact, God has destroyed all the Philistines. There are no Philistines. They've only taken that name because it was given politically by the Romans, as it were, you know, centuries ago. But nonetheless, it, it resurrected uh, during the conflicts of, of uh, the nations that were wanting to destroy the modern Israel of 1948 and, and beyond. So they've only taken the name, but there are no Palestine, there are no Philistines, you know, because they've been destroyed. So that's that's one, of, that's another reason why uh, to to call something a Palestinian state is is really uh, a false uh, uh, application. And then there's Tyre, which represented the Phoenicians of the area that was close to where Lebanon is today. And then Edom, Ammon, and Moab are also mentioned as nations to be judged, and those are all east of the Jordan River and east of the Dead Sea. So following their judgments then, the Lord would bring just punishment upon Judah. That's, that's another one of these uh, nations that is going to be judged. And then eventually his main target, which is the northern kingdom of Israel. So the judgments are not a matter of chance. Never think again, as I said, God is not just, you know, Destroying because he wants to destroy. That is not his his desire. never has been. But the judgments are not a matter of chance. In fact, they are divinely foreseen and they are divinely foreordained. And they are confirmations of the truth that the Lord will not clear the guilty. The Lord will not clear the guilty. For if God spares not the nations that know not the truth, how much less Israel that sins willfully and knows that they're sinning against God. Scripture is very clear in answer to the question, who then is the faithful and wise steward as to the unfaithful steward? This is what Jesus himself said. Listen. In Luke 12, 47, he says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, Neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whom much is given. Y'all know this passage. For unto whom much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will last the more. Israel knew their God, and they knew what the what the Lord had expected of them because he gave them his word. He gave them his commandments. But they forsook the commandments of God time and time and time again. Now, do you understand what uh, uh, Rich Freeman was teaching this past weekend here when he said, hey, listen, God loves them unconditionally and he loves them eternally. Because he says that, and he does. But his people who have been given that responsibility have forsaken. When they forsake it, God has to punish them. In, in, the, in the book of James, in the New Testament, it is written in James 4.17, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, now I get it again, knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. To him it is sin. You know that it's something you should do, but you don't do it. That's what you call a sin of omission. You, you, you don't do what you should do. Now, if you do what you shouldn't do, that's a sin of commission. You, you, you've committed to something to do. So there are sins of commission sins of omission. But if you know to do good, that's the word. The word has been given to us. You know how to walk. You know how to be right. You're, you're supposed to live right and do these things, and and live godly in this present age, as we'll get to in a minute, and you don't do it, then it's sin. You've missed the mark. But you've done it willfully. And while Syria was judged for cruelty, and and I'm just kind of going back to the ones that we've already touched upon. Syria was judged for cruelty, and Gaza for making slaves of God's people, Tyre for breaking a treaty, and Edom for having a vengeful spirit. And Ammon for its violent crime simply to enlarge its borders, which is a crime that is happening, you know, it's been happening over the centuries, you know, for the last 6,000 years, as it were. Moab, the subject of the first three verses of chapter 2, Moab would be judged for injustice. Injustice, but not against Israel, but against Edom. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 again. Thus saith the Lord for 3 transgression of Moab and for 4 I will not turn away the punishment thereof because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. That's interesting that he says because he burned. He being Moab which was the name of the the ancestor of the Moabite. Yet it was many, many years uh, after the the birth of Moab. Verse 2, but I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Kerioth, a, a very important city in the in the region of Moab. And Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. And I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and will slay all the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. So here we receive the charges against against Moab. Now Moab was a kingdom east of the Jordan River, as I've mentioned already, east of the Dead Sea, and located between the kingdoms of Ammon and Edom in what is today present-day present Jordan. Now the Moabites as I said, were descendants of Lot through his incestuous relationship with his older daughter after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's all in Genesis chapter 19. You can read about it there. But from the very beginning of Israel's wanderings, when when Israel had come out of Egypt with Moses and they went into the into the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land, and of course. It should have taken him 11 days. Instead, it took him 40 years. But from the very beginning of those wanderings in the wilderness, Moab sought to eliminate Israel as a nation. From that time, that's a long time ago, they desired to destroy Israel. Sound familiar? People to this day want to destroy Israel. And Some of you are saying, Why do you want to go? (laughs) Because God has called us to bless Israel. And this church blesses Israel every time we go. And we go to support the nation that God has raised up for these last days. Interestingly enough, animosity between Israel and Moab began very early when when the Moabites refused to give the Jews passage on a major highway. Turn to Deuteronomy 23. In Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 through 6. Now this is part, this is what is called the second law, as it were, the, the book of Deuteronomy. Or the, the repeat of the law, as it were. So when you hear this, this is this is law law established here Deuteronomy 23 it says an Ammonite or Moabite Now, remember we've already dealt with the Ammonites in chapter 1 because they were brothers Ammon and Moab an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord even to their 10th generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever I mean that's a strong, that's a strong statement from the Lord about these two nations. Always remember that God knows things about nations better than we do. Verse, verse 4 says, because they met you not. And here's the reason why. Because of their mistreatment of his people. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way. Because it was supposed Supposed to be the very way that they were to take care of one another. People traveling through, they were supposed to give hospitality, always to give hospitality. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest uh, uh, examples of hospitality was Abraham, who came from Ur of the Chaldees uh, in Mesopotamia, you know where Iraq and Afghanistan is, and 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 well, Iraq. And and he came all the way. Everything he did was, was was you know, he was hospitable. He did what he was supposed to do for those who needed water, or needed bread, or needed rest. It was something that they were taught, because of the nature and character of God. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt. And because they hired against thee Balaam the son of Beor of Pethorah of Mesopotamia to curse thee. Nevertheless the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam. But the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all the days forever. God said I'll take care of them. You don't You don't seek their peace. I'll take care of them. You go to the book of Judges, chapter 11, verse 17. Where we're told that then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through thy land, but the king of Edom would not hearken thereto. So the king of Edom was kind of a snotty person, too. And in like manner, they sent unto the king of Moab, but he would not consent, in Israel, Abod and Israel abode in Kadesh. So, as already mentioned in the text in Deuteronomy, the king of Moab had hired Balaam to curse Israel. And in another instance, Moabite women seduced the Jewish men to commit fornication and idolatry. You can read that in Numbers 25. So, you want to look it up, Numbers 25, where the Moabite women seduced the Jewish men. During the time of the judges, Israel was subject to the Moabites for 18 years. They, come, they came under the subjection of the Moabites who mistreated them. We're told in Judges 3 verses 12-14, through 14, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Now here, here again this is the, it's their fault. Israel began to do evil again in the sight of the Lord, which usually meant that they were worshiping idols, usually meant that they were doing all the things that uh, that it took to worship idols, which was fornication and, and all kinds of sexual sins. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. His people had done evil, so he said, I'm going to just, you know, let the Moabites take care of these people. It shouldn't be. But they've done evil again. They've disobeyed me. They've rebelled against me and my law. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek. And he went and smote Israel. Possess the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon the king of Moab. Eighteen years they were in subjection to the Moabites. So you would say, well that's a good reason for God to judge Moab. However, in the present passage, Moab's wickedness is not directed toward Israel, but rather toward Edom. Edom, who also had problems with Israel. Now that's an interesting thing, isn't it? But now when you consider that the Lord had also told Israel at one time that they were not to treat Edom badly because it was family. Edom was the nation founded by Esau, the brother of Jacob. The twin brother of Jacob, the two sons that that came forth out of Rebekah's womb. So Amos issued two strong charges against the Moabites. The first one is 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 understood here. They repeatedly committed evil against the Lord. They always went against the Lord, whatever the Lord had them to do they, they never did it. The Moabites never did. So they, they were always going to be on the wrong side of, of God's law. So they repeated, com, uh, repeatedly committed evil against the Lord and against other peoples. Whether it was uh, Edomites, eventually it would be other nations around them as well but primarily against Israel. But secondly the reason why Moab was judged by God here was that they sought revenge against Edom because the Edomites had joined an alliance with Israel and Judah against them. And that was the main reason. And they didn't like one of their normal kind of, you know, well, we can go to these people if we need them type of thing. You know, instead, Edom has an alliance with Israel and Judah. And Israel and Judah, by the way, weren't all that good friends. That's why they were two different nations instead of one. They, They had split. Judah and Israel should have been one nation because God had called them Israel. You can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3 shows this alliance that Edom did with Israel and Judah, and it was against Moab. So Moab's army wasn't capable of defeating all three nations, so they focused their retaliation on Edom. And in seeking revenge, Moab attacked Edom, and either, either they killed Edom's king, we're not really sure here, if this is the same incident, but they either killed Edom's king, or else they exhumed his body or his bones. All in all, Moab then burned the bones of the dead king until there was nothing left but lime or ashes. Lime would, lime would more, normally be just ashes. But it is the act itself, the act uh, that was uh, despicable. It was the desecration of the dead, showing an appalling lack of respect for the dignity of the human race, the dignity of the race that God had had, had, uh, initially created in his image. hate to say this, but there's a lot of desecration going on today. I happen to hear uh, on the radio, I think, or maybe it was the news, but I think it was on the news. Just a real quick statement made by someone who was uh, arguing against... Uh, a law in, uh, I believe it was in, in, in Georgia or, or, or north of South Carolina where they had voted uh, 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 in a, 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 a life uh, uh, resolution that had to do with if there's a heartbeat, it's a life and it's going to be protected. And uh, the person who was arguing against that said that just because there's a heartbeat doesn't mean that thing's human. It, it's almost as if that's how they said it, that it's, it's not human, just because it has a heartbeat. Not human until it's born, you know. But then again, you have the Virginia uh, <laughs> governor who says that, well, even after it's born, it has it, it has the potential of, of, of actually being, being uh, 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 exterminated because if the parent doesn't want the doctors agree with him. That's a desecration of life. That's a desecration of the body. And this is this is the kind of crazy, insane world that we live in. But it isn't the first time. How many how many times have we have we spoken about uh, uh, you know the 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 babies that were that were sacrificed to Molech? Name for the Baal worship that was taking place that, the, that the, some of the Jewish people had uh, adopted as their own way of worshiping, and they had the, fallen into that trap of, of, of following through with, with the destruction of children. Despicable. It was disgraceful, it was a humiliating crime. Getting back to this, this, this one crime of, 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 uh, of Moab against the bones of, of the Edom Edomite king. I mean, consider, if you will, the uproar and the reaction of any nation if the, if the body of one of its most honored and, and prominent leaders was degraded in this manner. But this atrocity is what the Moabites chose to commit and they're seeking revenge. The revenge that was coming against the Moabite people. You know, In other words, the revenge against the Edomites who were against the Moabites. So Amos announced then that the king of Moab and his officials were all guilty. The king of Moab would be the judge that is mentioned there. In verse 3, I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof. In other words, the one who has made this edict to destroy the bones of, of the king of Edom. And all of his officials were all guilty and would be destroyed along with their cities. Moab was eventually taken by the Assyrians, and this is how we know that this prophecy became because Moab was eventually taken by the Assyrians and the land became the home of, of, of numerous nomadic tribes. And the, and the nation of Moab was no more. And then the phrase, Moab shall die with tumult, is an interesting way of saying that they would go out with a real bang. And, and the nation would be ended, brought to extin- extinction later on by the hands of the Babylonians. The Babylonians like to destroy everything with fire. As we know what happened in 586, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, in Jerusalem when they destroyed Jerusalem. But they were the ones that came and destroyed Moab completely, and, and there has not been a Moabite since. Not a Moabite since then. Just like there are no Philistines, there are no Moabites. By the way, let me ask you a question. Did any good thing come out of Moab? Did any good thing come out of Moab? This is not a trick question, but you have to to pass it if you want to leave here tonight on, on time. Did any good thing come out of Moab? One person. One person surely did. A gentle, lovely girl whose name was Ruth who would later become the wife of Boaz. And the two of them being in the the genealogical line leading to Jesus Christ. Okay. John gets an A plus. The Lord has warned us all seeking revenge, anger, and hatred, bitterness, and vengeance can consume and ruin our lives. I know I've mentioned this a few times, but uh, and I, and and I don't say this because I don't want to be. But I say this because I know that others have shared the same thing with me. and That is, that if we watch too much of what's going on in Washington today, w- we get really, really, you know, we get stirred. Uh, I think I've mentioned that I want to put my foot through the TV every time. But I, you can only do your foot through the TV once. Then you have to buy another one. Right. So... You know, it's, it's just that, and, and I think I've also, also mentioned to you that the Lord, from the words that, here, look, you, don't, you don't, don't let your heart be troubled. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Okay. You know. but, uh, but I use that as an example of the fact that it's so easy for us to get to that place where we become angry. We can become hatred, or, or, or uh, hatred-filled. Or we can become bitter. Now I would hope that as believers in Jesus Christ we won't get to that point of wanting vengeance. But it happens. Sometimes in minute ways, but it happens. And certainly they can consume us. We ought not to be consumed by those things because those things aim toward consuming our flesh. I mean, these are, these are weapons of the enemy to destroy us, to make us ineffective as believers in Jesus Christ, as witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as witnesses of the love of Christ. They can really ruin us, not to mention the lives of those that we've targeted. Consider what the Word of God says in Leviticus 19. This is the law. Verses 17 through 18, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Too many people have this, this simplistic idea that the Old Testament is all about law and the New Testament is all about grace. That's foolish. There's law and grace in the Old Testament just like there's law and grace in the New Jesus said of himself, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. We always talk about the heart, don't we? And when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about, you know, law. We're talking about grace. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon it. In other words, if you need to settle something, you know, make sure you do it with the right heart attitude and not suffer sin upon it. Thou shalt not avenge nor nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. When do we forget this? Every day? When should we remember it? Every day? (laughs) Every time we get into God's word in the morning, in the middle of the day, in the evening, whenever it is that we open our Bibles, we should always be reminded of this very thing. Always be reminded that the Lord when asked the question what is the greatest commandment said thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul and thy strength. The second is like it. You don't separate it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said. Hard to forget. That's something that we ought to to consider each and every day of our lives. Especially as we see the day of Christ approaching. Proverbs 24 verse 29 says, Say not, I will do so to him as he has done unto me. (laughs) Don't say that. I will render to the man according to his work. Whatever he's done to me, I'm going to do. Don't say that. What did Jesus say? Matthew 5, verses 38 and 39. Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount, this passage here. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other. can't do these things without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let, let's make that clear right now. We can't do this in our own flesh and in our own power. Why? Because the flesh wants to fight back. It always wants to fight back. That's the tendency of the flesh that we even even we ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ have. Now, we should grow every day in maturity in Christ in the word of God, in the things of God. We should grow in those things. Become less and less dependent upon the flesh and more and more dependent upon the spirit of God. Walk in the flesh. Is that what it says? No, it says walk in the spirit. And you shall not do the things in the flesh that the flesh wants to do. Romans 12, verse 17, Paul said, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Don't pay back evil if someone has given you evil. Oh, he's got yeah. Lord, I'll be right with you. Yeah. Sometimes the way we think. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15 says, See that none render evil for evil unto... Any man. This is Paul again, speaking to a different church. Now remember what we've said. When Paul, in the in the in the, in the uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes something to a church, it's because they're dealing with certain issues there that need to be corrected or need to be dealt with. So he said, "Render. Do not render evil for evil unto any man, but ever." Follow that which is good. We will always get to a point. This is the challenge of our everyday life. We will always get to a point where all of a sudden, boom, there's two roads in front of us. And, they're, and by the way, they're marked clearly. They're marked clearly because God doesn't want to fool us. The enemy wants to fool us, but God doesn't. Two roads appear. There's one in light and one in darkness. Which one are we going to (laughs) go? There's only one way to go. You're the children of light. Then walk in the light as he is in the light. At all times. And if it's not really clear, then just say, Lord, shine your light. Let me see which way to go. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Peter himself, another apostle, a Jewish apostle. By the way, all the apostles were Jewish. So they knew the law. And what does does Peter say? Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Except in a marriage. what's going on here we're, putting, we're going to start adding things to God's word be ye all of one mind Christian believer having compassion one of another love as brethren be pitiful not, not like uh, Mr. Pitiful of the 60's you know they call me Mr. Pitiful that guy. You know, not, not that you know because pitiful means something a little different in that day and age to be full of pity. That's what this means. To be full of pity. I like today when we, say, we call somebody pitiful because, of, man, you're pitiful. <laughs> Which has a totally different meaning than the original word. Be courteous. Where's that gone nowadays? We used to teach our kids to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. To greet people with a hand outstretched. We don't do that anymore because our hands are busy. (laughs) A wall. (sighs) Okay, calm down. Not rendering evil for evil. This is Peter, not Paul. He says the same thing. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. But contrary wise, blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. You're called to be a blessing, and you'll inherit a blessing. And I, I can tell you this I, I want you all to be blessed. I want you to be blessed with the blessings of God because they're really good. God's blessings are good. They're the best. God's blessings, man. They, 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 no one can touch them. So there, there was a lesson in a lesson here. The Moabites wanted revenge. It got them destruction. So let's not seek revenge. It only brings destruction. Let's go on to the charges against Judah now, verses 4 and 5. And in the very little time that we have, we're going to really get cracking here. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err, after the which their fathers have walked. I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. The, the you know, the burden of my heart is when I hear that this is to, uh, these are the transgressions of Judah, Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. Or that, well, the southern kingdom, you know, of the divided Israel. And and one of their sins is that they've not kept their His commandments, God's commandments, and their lies caused them to err. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That is a commandment. That's one of the big ten. We're talking about the big ten here. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor or anyone. Yet Judah did. And judgment would come. The lion's roar of judgment would strike Judah. The people had refused the call the Lord had placed upon them to be his followers and his witnesses upon the earth. They refused to accept responsibility for their failure to follow and bear witness for the Lord. Throughout, they profess faith in the Lord. A lot of us do, don't we? We profess faith in the Lord. To believe in him, to worship him, we profess that. But Judah's own feeling was that they were the chosen people of God and hence acceptable and secure in Him. But what they failed to to realize was that God showed no favoritism or partiality to any people in this. The Lord will not condone, indulge, or give license to sin. Never has and never will. The scripture is very clear the Lord is no respecter of persons. In other words, he does not esteem a Jew because he's a Jew, nor does he detest a Gentile because he's a a Gentile. He doesn't do that. The Jews, for the most part, were deeply rooted in the opinion that God would never extend his favor to the Gentiles. I mean, they were rooted in that for thousands of years. And that the descendants of Jacob only should enjoy his peculiar favor and blessing. Unfortunately, that's the way it is with some Christians today, too. That they think, oh yeah, you know, uh, his favor is not going to go out to anyone that's not like us. He's never going to go out to anyone that doesn't believe like we do or doesn't live like we do or isn't prosperous like we are. Ha! The Apostle Peter was certainly of this opinion before a heavenly vision was given to him that we find him in in Acts chapter 10, which would lead to his meeting with a centurion named Cornelius, who was a Gentile. A Gentile who began to believe in God, the God of Israel. And a vision was given to to the centurion, to, to Cornelius, to send men to Peter. And to bring Peter. And Peter had to get a vision from God. Where he saw all of these unclean animals on a sheet. And and God tells him, hey, of all of those animals, you can eat. And what does Peter say? Nay, nay, Lord. (laughs) Not so. He's saying no to God. But God is showing him. he's done in putting his focus on law than on the grace of God. It is in Acts chapter 10 that Peter gives these words after what he has seen in the presence of Cornelius and his household. Peter opened his mouth and he said, Acts ten thirty four. Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him, every nation, no matter which nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And so a true believer, whether Jew or Gentile, must live their life thoughtfully and righteously and godly in this present world. Titus chapter 2. This is what Paul told Titus in verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Notice, not just to the Jews, but to all men, Jew and Gentile alike. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. Now, Now understand this. Before we can live soberly and righteously and godly, as it goes on to say, notice that it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness we've got to deny ungodliness we've got to deny the things that are wrong to do the worldly lusts that are constantly after us the constantly tempting us it's every day isn't it? I can tell one thing you guys are here you're not you don't live in a bubble I don't think you do you got out. And you didn't get out for good behavior you just got out and you came to church and you're here teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope see what we are doing by living this way is saying that we know that Jesus can come at any moment. Because he's our hope. He's our blessed hope. And, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We're looking for that. Don't get caught up in, you know, when people say, oh, you, all you do is look for Jesus to come. Well, what do you do? Because it doesn't matter what you do. Jesus is still going to Come. So if he's coming, then I want to live right because he's going to come. So I live every day in the word of God. Try to, right? We all do. We all, you know, we all face the same struggles, trials, challenges. You know, we, we get them all. But here's what we are doing while we are walking this way. We're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us not forgetting what he did on the cross, gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That, my friends, is what we need to understand is the full picture. The full picture. Jesus is coming. Live righteously, godly in this present age. Live soberly. Jesus is coming. Jesus died on the cross. That's significant. I never am to forget that. And He's been given to us so that He can change us. The change doesn't come because of our good looks. The change doesn't come because we, because we, you know, our good outweighs the bad. No, the change came because Jesus died. True believer, whether Jew or Gentile, must be totally committed to follow the Lord, sincerely seeking to please the Lord, obeying His word, living righteously, and bearing strong witness to His wonderful salvation. But it was in this that the children of Judah failed to be true followers of the Lord. They said they were. But then what did they do? They would go to temple, they would go offer their, their, their sacrifices unto the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem, and then at night they'd go up into the high places and they worship idols. That's good. Right? Yes or no? No. So they were guilty of three very serious charges. First, They sinned repeatedly, that's verse 4. Secondly, they rejected God's law, his word, his holy word. By the way, not just his word, his holy word. The other nations were guided only by their conscience and by instinctive instinctive knowledge. Some universal morality. I find it really funny that, you know... uh, Former Vice President Biden, you know, when he started his campaign for president, you know, when they asked him about a a campaign slogan, you know, he 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 said, well, you know, there was there was Trump's campaign slogan, you know, "Make America Great Again." What what is yours? He says, no, it's not "Make America Great Again." It's "Make America Moral Again." And I thought, interesting, make it moral again? Has it ever been moral? From the standpoint of a nation being moral? How about the fact that if he's talking about being moral again, what about his filthy, dirty mouth that he opens up at times? And by the way, racist at times too. That's not moral. So there's a real contradiction here that I'm just like thinking, I don't want to watch the news anymore. But I can't say that because, hey, we're looking for the Lord to come, and we have to look at all of the markers that we find going on in the world today, especially in Israel and and, and across the world. So, I mean, it's like, wow. it's you, you see how messed up the world is today? Romans chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, Paul says, For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, And here's the reason why I'm reading this, because it says, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. See, if you do the law, then you're justified. But if you're just a hearer of the law, that doesn't make you justified. You have to be a doer. Remember what James said, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And then Paul goes on and says, for when the Gentiles, which have not law, uh, not the law, do the By nature, the things contained in the law, if they do things, they don't even know it, but they're doing moral things or right things, these having not the law are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the mean, while accusing or else excusing one another. Which means this, that from the very beginning, God has built into man, even fallen man, an understanding and conscience of what is right and what is wrong. But we've gotten to a point where the mind has been seared with a hot iron and it, 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 it has no feeling anymore. And that has seeped down into the heart of man. And we see all of these grotesque types of things going on in the world today. I mean, I don't even want to go into it because, I mean, ugh, you know, the way people mistreat others. Serial killers and all kinds of other things. (sighs) Law enforcement officers being shot every day, just about. What has happened? But it was from the beginning when man fell. And Satan brought sin into this world. Most people know enough about right and wrong that they should strive to live in peace and harmony with one another. another. However, many refuse to live righteously and to love their neighbors. This is the reason the Lord will execute justice and judgment among all people of all uh, generations. But but the Jews had more than conscience and an inner knowledge of universal, uh, universal morality. They had much more than that. They had the very word of God itself to guide and instruct them in the ways of God. And then thirdly, the people of Judah had been led astray by lies. Now this is interesting. It talks about their lies. But do you know what the lies were? The lies were the worship of false gods. Take note of the influence of parents, grandparents, and other ancestors upon their generation. You see it here in the text. After, which, after the which their fathers have walked, verse 4, the very end. Their fathers walked this way. What did they do? They taught their children to do the same. Sadly, the worship of false gods was being passed down from one generation to the next. Keep in mind that the Jews were professing to worship the Lord, but they also were professing to worship other so-called gods. So their faith by now had become an eclectic, extensive and wide-ranging religion that mixed the worship of the Lord with the worship of other gods. Now, in this particular passage, the word for false gods, wherever it is, here, it's here. <laughs> well, it's, it's the word lies. It, I'm talking about the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the word kazav, kazav, literally is used as lies here in the text, in the English, it means false gods. It means lies. False gods, lies. Well, are false gods not lies? They're believing the lie and thinking that, you know, it's okay to worship false gods. No, it isn't. So this is the view of the Lord of all imaginary and not so imaginary gods that people worshiped. And in most cases, these gods are made up, false, deceptive, and nothing but lies. And so because of these grievous sins, the Lord was forced to pronounce judgment upon them. His fire or judgment would burn the nation and consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. Very quickly, let me give you a few verses of Scripture from the New, from the New Testament, then we'll close. And So give me just a moment here, okay? We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. Notice what Paul says. Now remember, this is New Testament. This is thousands of years removed. And it says, but fornication. Anytime you see fornication in the scriptures, in a list that Paul gives, it's usually connected to idolatry. So fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. They're not fit, in other words, but rather giving of thanks. That's what we as believers are to do. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, there it is, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Secondly, in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 10, Paul says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now remember, that is, those who do not obey the gospel and who know not God. Now going to the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 12, verses 14 and 15, it says, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. Now why did I read that here? Because the punishment for this unfaithfulness would be the destruction of Judah in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians when Nebuchadnezzar finally broke through the defenses of the city of Jerusalem after a very long siege of the city, and they killed the royal family, they, they set the temple and the palace and all the houses of the city on fire. Remember, all the houses were connected to the wall. They burnt them all. And they deported nearly all of the population to Babylon. And they were warned that this would happen. They were warned. And yet they did not turn back to God. I want to leave you with the words of Paul after he describes the deceptions of the great day of the Lord in in 2 Thessalonians 2. Because when you read that passage, and we've read it many times, I know in our studies of prophecy recently over the last two or three years, it talks about the coming of Antichrist. Of course, the church will not be here. But understand this, verses 13 through 17. After all of that, this is what Paul says to the church, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. And hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. By the way, that all becomes the word of God because the epistles that were um, inspired by the Holy Spirit to Paul and Peter, Matthew, Luke, and so on and so forth, the gospels and the, and the, and the uh, epistles, all of it is today the word of God. And then it says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father." which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. May that be our blessing from the Lord today.